Hey, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Um, we are glad you're here. Yeah, there we go. Um, I'm glad you're here, and uh, we're glad to have some guests. Thanks to our, uh, the group from Cedarville for leading us in worship this morning. Yeah, thank them. We also have uh, another group of distinguished individuals that we won't necessarily point them out as individually, but um, our, our seventh graders, our rising seventh graders are in the service for the first time with us this morning. So, yeah, we're glad they're with us as well. Yeah, yeah. So they may be scattered around, but I think there may be some over here. If I point any of them out individually, I'll, I'll have to pay for it at home later. So, um, but, but yeah, this is, it, it does mark a time where, where we have young adults joining with us in, uh, in, in our Sunday morning. So, so we're glad you're here. Um, if, if you're new around here, my name's Tom. I'm our, our teaching pastor at Life Community, and we've been for the last, this is actually week six in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are found in Galatians chapter 5. It's a list that, um, that Paul the Apostle gives as he's contrasting um, what's produced in a life when someone is walking in the flesh. There is no Spirit of God active in their life. The Spirit of God is, is not engaged because they have not, by faith, trusted in Christ as Lord. And then, on the flip side, he says, but this is, these are things that are produced in us, that are produced in our lives when the Spirit of God is active. And so it, it, he sort of sets up a cause-and-effect relationship. But, but it's easy for us to confuse the causes and the effects. But the cause is actually the Spirit of God causing things in our lives, those who, who know God, who have the Spirit. The, the Spirit is the cause that brings about all these effects. And so those, the, there's a connection to God that produces fruit. And, and this, thus far, we've looked at the first five. We've taken them in order. We've looked at love, love that's produced as the Spirit of God moves through individuals, that, that gives the capacity that that individual doesn't have otherwise to love their neighbor. And joy, peace, patience. And last week, we talked about kindness, just a spirit of kindness towards our neighbor that, that as we draw near to God is alive in us. And today, we're going to talk about goodness, okay? Goodness. Um, if you grew up in the South, where I did, you may hear it as my goodness a lot or goodness gracious. It's kind of a catch-all word for things that are good, okay? But, but goodness is a really interesting word, okay? Especially in the Scriptures, because here's the thing, the word that, that we find here in the original uh, Greek that, that Paul writes, the word that's, that we find here for goodness is only used four times in the New Testament. And it's never used outside of Christian writing. Okay? In fact, it looks like Paul the Apostle, the, the writer of the book of Galatians, it looks like he might have made up a word. Okay? He's, you know, the, 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 in the New Testament, it happens from time to time. They take an idea... And then they sort of put some other ideas together into it and cram them together, and you get a new word. It happens with, with actually sort of our middle name, community, comes from this idea of koinonia. Okay? Koinonia was sort of a made-up word. Koine, the word for common, they turned into a superlative, a, a super commonality, a super commonness that we call fellowship or, or community. What well, happens here again with this word goodness 
Okay? It's, as I said, it's only found four times. Paul's the only one that uses it in the Bible. And, and it's, it's really tricky to translate. We'll see it a couple times. We'll, we'll look at each instance where it's used in the New Testament. We'll, and and it's, sometimes it is goodness in the full form. Sometimes it's just translated as good. But it's rooted in the word good, as we see it in our Bible, it has two different Greek words. And I, I'm going to dive here just for a minute on the language. We won't camp here all day. But it's important to understand this distinction. There's two words that are translated as good. The first one is the word kalos, K-A-L-O-S in English. It it's doesn't really look that good in Greek. Well, it looks better in Greek. It's not that easy for us to read. But kalos is a generic word for good. It's sort of like if someone says, hmm, good toast, Okay? Like, it's just, that's a good thing. It's a generic word, okay? The word that, that we're dealing with here is the word agathos, okay? It's where we get the name agatha from, agathos. And it's a word that, that really means like an internal goodness. It's, it, it's contrasted from kalos in that agathos actually means like, this is something that is inherently just good, Okay? It's a word that might have been used when, when, when art forms were distinguished one from the other, not on the level of preference, but it would have been low art, and then there would have been good art, agathos. It just has in, inherent internal characteristics that make it better. Okay? It's, it's translated as well when, when, when you see some, someone is talked about as a good person. But most importantly to us, it's the word agathos is the word that's used when it says that God is good. Okay? That God is good. God is not kalos in that we just sort of prefer him. He's, he's, he's agathos in that he is inherently good. There's something about him that by very definition is good. Okay? And the word goodness that we see here in Galatians chapter 5, okay, that we're, that we're uh, camping on today, this word is actually a form of agathos that I'm not even going to try and pronounce, okay? But it's, it, it's a word that, that it, it takes it to an extreme. And it says that, that in every sort of every fiber of the individual, every fiber we're using to describe is good. There's nothing bad in it. It's, it is all the way through wholesome and good. And so when we see the word goodness today, that's what we're looking at. It's interesting, um, Charles Stanley, a longtime pastor of a church in Atlanta, he, he actually, in, in referencing this idea, he talks about this, the, the fruit of goodness being the sap that's in the tree. Okay? It's the sap that's in the tree. It's not, it's, it's not the leaves, it's not the bark, it's, it's not the, the, the wood itself. It's the sap that carries all the nutrients from the soil and up out into the branches and then thus produces the fruit by bringing the nutrients out to the very extremities of the tree. So when we think about fruit and fruitfulness, and we get to this idea of goodness, we're talking about an idea that would, that would be best defined, I think, as this. It's an, goodness is an internal desire to see others blessed and flourishing. It's something that's true inside of us, but then it extends from the internal out to external acts that benefit our neighbors. So it's, it's not just this sort of like, yeah, that I, I generally hope that, that you are blessed. I, I hope things go well for you. You know, if I, if I see good news on Facebook about you, I'll like it. Okay? It's not that. 
this goodness is, an, is it, it's at, the, at the very core of who we are. It's sort of in our bloodstream that, that we, can't, we sort of can't help but do things for others. We can't help but, but engage in their life in ways that are, that's going to bless them. And this is the goodness of Galatians 5. Okay? We're going to look at it. I want to, there, there aren't many of them, so we have the luxury of looking at each place that the word goodness is used. And as we, there's our definition, but as we dissect it, okay? as we dissect it a little bit to understand how Paul uses it, we're going to take some ideas away. And then in just a few minutes, um, we're going to camp in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be there in just a minute. But when we dissect the word goodness... Galatians 5 is one place that it shows up on the list of the fruit of the Spirit, but it also shows up in Romans chapter 15. In Romans chapter 15, it says this, that I myself am satisfied, this is Paul writing again, he's the I, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct, and that word instruct I put in brackets there, admonish, might be a better translation for instruct, one another. Okay, so he says, I, I'm satisfied with you that you are, yourselves are full of goodness, that, that this goodness, this agathos taken to the extreme that flows through the thing. Paul says to the, to the church in Rome, towards the very end of his letter there, Paul says to them, I'm confident. I'm confident that this goodness of God is alive in you. Right? I'm, I'm confident of it. You're full of it. He also goes on, though, to, to attach goodness to this other idea. He says, and you're able, because of that goodness, you're filled with all knowledge and you're able to instruct, or like I said, maybe a better direct translation here is admonish one another, to admonish one another. And you see, we have, a, we have this thing that we tend to do, which is we associate goodness sometimes with passivity, right? A good person is someone who doesn't cause trouble. A good person is someone who stays in their lane. A good person is someone who never has any sort of conflict or confrontation with with someone else, but the, the first instance we come across this word in our New Testament, at least in, as it arrives as today, it actually deals with this idea that goodness actually admonishes others. It actually, the word admonish means that we step in where correction is needed, that that's what's good. It's not just good just to leave people alone, that's indifference. That's not good, it's not good for them. It, means, it doesn't mean that the goodness, our goodness is flowing through when we just sort of sit back and let everyone be, but rather this goodness is a goodness that engages, it instructs, it admonishes. It's not indifferent. I'm reminded of Eile Weissel, right? Eile Weissel, the, the Holocaust survivor, who, who had with his famous quote that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. If we really love, if we really want to bless someone else, we don't sit back and leave them alone, we step in and engage, right? We move towards them. We, it, we admonish, confront when necessary that that's real goodness. So goodness, as we understand it here in the New Testament, actually has, has something to say to us about admonishing others. Look at the next place we see it. In Ephesians chapter 5, still Paul, but in a different letter to a different church, he writes this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light, in the Lord, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That word good there is our word goodness again, thankfully for the grammar put into just the word good, okay? But look at what he says. He says, you were once 
Okay, you were in darkness, but now you're the light of the Lord, so you walk as children of light. Light is found in all that is good. Where there is goodness, where, there, where we see good, where we're capable of good, we see the light of the Lord. It's, and it's pervasive. Look at what he says. It's, it's good, it's right, and it's true. It's everywhere that it's found. Okay? And there's, there's something here that, that, um, to bring up and to dissect this further. We want to say this, that the goodness is consistent. It's consistent. It's consistently good. Um, we're not talking about the capacity, the capacity that we have to do a good thing. That is, that, that is something that we're all kind of capable of, to do a good thing. What Paul's using this word for to try and describe is actually that there's a walk. There's a path that we're on. There's a, there's a movement that we have in our life that is consistently good. It's sort of our first reaction because we're in the light. We used to be in the dark. He's using a very similar image here that he used in Galatians 5 between the flesh and the spirit. But he's saying in this case, there's light and there's dark. And when we're in the dark, we can't help but do the deeds of darkness. But, but the light sort of permeates everything. It touches everything. And so whenever there's goodness, whenever there is good, it's because of God, because of this agathos. It's, it's real. We don't, we don't live in a world where darkness and evil have the final say. It's God's goodness penetrates and let's take a look at the, this last one, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 says this. He says, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Now, that, it's worded awkwardly. I get it. It's, it's oddly worded. But it's because you actually have our word for goodness here that's translated as good again but it's put together with another word that's really difficult to translate, and the grammar gets weird. But here's what he's saying. Okay? Here's what he's saying. He's saying Paul is praying for this group of uh, this, this church in Thessalonica, and he says that we're praying that you, you, you can be worthy of the calling, the calling that God has for you. What has God drawn you into in relationship with him? Okay? And he says here's what he's drawn you into. He's drawn you into... Every desire, every, he says resolve there, and that's probably the best word for word, but it's kind of desire, every desire for goodness. He's getting at the core of who they are. It's not just that along the way I might do a good thing. He's actually saying that, that the prayer that we have, that as we come more and more in line with the calling that God has on our life, we're going to find that at the level of our desire, there's change. That we no longer even want the things that we used to, but our desires that, that used to be for one thing are now directed towards this goodness, this agathos, this, this inherent way of being and living that is good at its core. It's good all the way through. It's good all consistently all the time. And so we see these ideas at work. That this sort of goodness rejects passivity or indifference in favor of moving towards people, and it, it will admonish because sometimes that's the thing that's necessary in a, in a good and loving relationship. That this goodness is consistent. It's everywhere. You can't, we can't escape it. We can't get away from it. And it deals with our desires. It deals with us at the core of who we are, 
I, um, I, had a, I had an encounter on Friday. I was a little north of here at a particular golf tournament with one of my children, okay? And, um, and, and this, this one of my kids had never been to the memorial, and so we, we walked around and we watched some golf and different things, and then towards the end, when the groups were finishing up their round, we went over to the ropes where like the players finish the 18th hole and then walk through the ropes to go in and do their scorecards and stuff. It's kind of a cool thing. It's, it's, it's different from a lot of sports, right, where you don't necessarily need a front row seat to get close to the athletes, and it was. We were, like, we were close enough that, that my son got some high fives from some of the golfers. It was kind of cool, okay? And so we go over there, and we're standing, and we're just watching them finish up. We had a great view of, of their finishing hole and them coming off the course. And so they're coming off the course, and, and my son is standing there. And, and if you haven't been and you haven't had this experience, um, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit like like if you've ever been to a third world country and you've had like something to hand out and the hands come out, like, you know, except it's like, it's like kind of affluent kids like running to the rope with their hands out and they're just everywhere grabbing at the players because here's what happens. The players come by and they take golf balls and like hand them to the kids. Or sometimes maybe like their golf glove and hand them to the kids. It's kind of a cool scene, right? So, so this is going on and my son's standing there and, and he's, he, he, he's standing there and he's getting some high fives and whatnot. But, but the, the, the players come through and it's kind of guys that I follow golf a, a, a fair amount and I'm like, I don't, I don't know who that guy is. I don't know who that guy is. I don't know, you know. But they're coming by, and he's getting some high fives. And, but, but, but we notice after a few groups come in, okay, we're, we're standing right against the ropes, and we notice about five or six feet in front of us, okay, five or six feet in front of us, this little girl, okay, pink dress, pink hat, runs over to the ropes, okay, and she, as the players go by, she takes her hat off and holds it out, okay. And we go, honestly, I was with, we were with a, f- a friend of mine and my son then was there with us, the three of us. My friend says, like, mm, it's over. <laughs> I said, what do you mean it's over? He said, no chance. Your son's got no chance of a golf ball. And I tell you what, every group that came by, whoop, ball in the girl's hat. Sometimes it was ball in the girl's hat. They'd get by her and go, like, you know what, you get a glove too, honey. Here you go. Right? And here we watched this. We, we stood there for an hour and a half. Okay? And when it started, we were kind of like, ha, ha. You know, cute little girl, she's going to get all the golf balls and gloves. And after 90 minutes of watching it, I was ticked. <laughs> like, I did not want good for that little girl. The little girl in the pink dress. And in fact, <laughs> true story, I'm, I'm not proud, but, but I'm also not ashamed to tell you. Okay. <laughs> one caddy, one of the golfer's caddies comes by, and I'm not kidding, he's, he's looking right at my son. Okay, this is towards the end. He's looking right at my son. I'm like, oh, he's going to get something. He's reaching into his bag, okay, looking right at my son. And then it's as if out of the corner of his eye, there's a tractor beam, and he goes, oh, little girl with pink dress, and drops whatever. He took a ball or something out of the bag and gave it to the little girl. Again. I, I, at that point, I was done. I almost, honestly, I had, to, I had to hold back the urge to say, don't give it to the girl in the pink dress. She doesn't deserve it. Her mom's sitting over there with eBay open. She's taking pictures and selling them right away. Do you understand what's happening here? Now, it was just a Friday at the memorial, and I bit my tongue. I didn't say anything to the four-year-old <laughs> or to her manipulative mother. Um, but I'll be honest, like, there was this thing in me that sort of churned. 
where it started and I saw the little girl in the pink dress and over 90 minutes, my attitude went from, oh, bless her soul, to, man, I really wish she would find somewhere else to, to hang out. Okay? Now, all that to say, all that to say, there's something that's true about our condition, okay? There's something that's true about our condition. And it's, and it's, it's that no matter how hard we try, no matter how, how much effort we put into it, no matter how much we practice, we are never, this side of eternity, on our own going to be able to conjure up agathos, this goodness. It, we have limits. It, 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 it's in us, but it hasn't completely infected every aspect, every fiber of us. And so we're good for a while. We're sort of good as long as it, it stays within certain parameters. I can, I can be good. I can want to bless others as long as it stays within those boundaries. But who will my boundaries get tested, right? And sometimes it's a little girl in a pink dress. But sometimes it's that person that I work with. And sometimes it's the person that I said I do to. And sometimes it's people that I'm in community with. The goodness that we're looking for, we're not capable of just making it happen. Okay? So let's take a look at, at Luke, Luke chapter 18. Okay? Luke chapter 18. And I'm just going to warn you, the clock is blocked back there. <clears throat> so I don't know. I don't know when we're going to finish. Okay? <laughs> Luke 18. It's, it's Heart Song's fault. Um, Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, and we're going to start actually in verse 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. And it says this. It says, And a ruler asked him, him being Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Stop there for a second. Okay? Notice what Jesus does, and he's so good at it. Okay? It's like he's good at everything. But notice what he does. Someone comes to him and asks a very specific question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus will get to the question. He's going to answer the question. But before he does it, he actually messes with the adjective game that's going on here. Did you catch this? He's playing with the adjectives. He says, why do you call me good? Agathos is the word here. This, this person says to him, hey, Agathos teacher, good teacher, why? And, and Jesus says, why are you calling me good? Don't you know that only God is good? Okay? It's almost like parenthetical. Like he says it, but then Jesus moves on. Right? You know no one is good except God alone. Now keep reading with me. Verse 20. We'll come back to that idea. Verse 20. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. It's a decent list, right? Good people, okay? Good people probably don't commit adultery. They certainly don't murder, right? Like, good list, right? Now, Keep reading, verse 21. And he, now the man, the, the, the ruler who came to him, says this. All these have I kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. 
But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Right? So, so check out what's happening. He comes to him and he says, good teacher. Okay? Good teacher. Now, I, um, I had the, the sincere blessing and joy of being an interim middle school principal for eight months. <clears throat> it was the longest 10 years I spent in education. <laughs> I, I, I jest, but, but it, was, it was rough, okay? Loved, loved a lot about it. <laughs> Clearly, there's a lot I didn't love. But one thing that I heard over and over again that year, I dealt with all kinds of discipline, okay? I, like, my world moved from teaching, 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 and almost like overnight, next thing I know, it's you know, the, the, the very first day, there was a fist fight between two boys that I had to intervene in and then deal with mom and dad and the whole nine yards. And there was something that I heard on a regular basis that year that, that when I first started in the job, I didn't have the tools in my kit to, to sort of address it rightly. But I would hear this from parents all the time. They'd say, this, my child couldn't have done this. They're a good kid. Okay. They're a good kid. I think that in some ways, Jesus is getting at this idea of good kids. Over time, I was able to sort of get after that, and and the Lord has blessed me to work in an atmosphere where I can say, well, does the Bible, what's the Bible tell us about their goodness? That they're incapable? But Jesus gets into this, and he says, like, wait a minute, why are you using the word good to describe a person? to describe me. Why would you do that? Do we ever... I, I try not to make that mistake with my kids. The assumption of goodness. At least not at the agathos level. They may be, they're very capable of doing good things. But isn't there a difference between doing good and being good? Aren't those two different things? And isn't that what Jesus is sort of saying here? Oh, I can callous, I can do something good, that, that an activity can be described generically as good. But, but as soon as you start to say that I'm internally good, that good becomes something that, is, that, that, that identifies me at the core of who I am, we've jumped to a different level. And he says, the only one we can say is good is God himself. So if you call me good, what are you saying about me? If we identify ourselves as agathos good, what's being said about us? But notice that's what happens with the fruit of the Spirit. Right? So Jesus gets to the question at hand, right? How can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commands. Follow the law. Which at face value seems an odd way for Jesus to respond. I think that he's someone who is very in touch with grace, right? That's not following the law. It's not by works. But Jesus says, follow the law. And the man... <laughs> boldly, right? The man boldly says, okay, I've done that. No adultery, no murder. Mom and dad were good with them. I'm good. And Jesus says, oh, okay, but, but one more. One more thing. Now, rightly, we've looked at this, and rightly, we've kind of understood that this is a statement about, about riches. It's a statement about money. It, in many ways, it is. But it's also a statement about the law and how one becomes good, and how one inherits eternal life, right? Because what's assumed here, what's assumed here is that these external things in the law, that if I follow them, if I keep all of them, 
I'm going to be good. I have eternal life. All is right. Except here's the problem. This guy sort of says, yeah, I'm at the end of all those. I've kept all those commands. And what happens to the law? Jesus does this to him. The law expands, right? Where in the law does it say that you have to sell everything in order to have eternal life? At least not in the Old Testament law. There's giving that has to be done that's required, and if you don't, you've violated the law. But there's no command to do what Jesus says here. I think Jesus is telling us something about his goodness and eternal life and the law, right? Because once you get to the end of the law, you know what's at the end of the law? More law. That's it. When you've kept all the rules, you know what's at the end of the rules? More rules. There isn't goodness there. Not the internal kind of goodness that we need. There's just more rules. And there's all kinds of things. It could have been substituted here. It could have been, it could have been you're a powerful young ruler comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, divest yourself of all your power. And he could have gone away sad because he had so much power. It could have been someone who had many friends, and Jesus would have said, you've got to leave your friends and go and commit yourself to this. And that person might have said, I can't. I've got too many friends. Right? It could have been, it could have been someone who just loved adventure, and Jesus would have said, no more adventure in your life. So there's, there is something to be said there about affluence and about money, but, but there's also something going on where Jesus is setting the standard of what goodness is and how, someone, how goodness is attached to eternal life. You see, the external stuff, the law, the rules, following all of them perfectly couldn't produce the kind of goodness that led to eternal life. Are you with me on this? Following all the rules, at the end of that, just produce more rules. Jesus says the the law can't do it. Look at verse 24. Jesus, seeing that he, this rich man, had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. As I said, there's, there is certainly a statement about, about riches and what we do with them. But I think what he's saying more is that, that the path of the law is so demanding, it's never satisfied. It's never satisfied. Verse 26, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Now here's the, you ready? Here's the punch. Verse 27. But he, Jesus, said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Do you catch this? Do you catch this? Is it possible to follow all of the law? You forget about the fact that the guy had to be lying as we talk about intent and all those things. It's not possible he kept all the law. He deluded himself. But do you catch what Jesus has said? This, even if you reach the end of the law... There's still more. Is it even possible then? And what is Jesus' answer? Absolutely, it's possible. It's not possible for you by following all of the external rules and regulations to get the goodness of God. But what's impossible for us to do on our own, God makes possible through his life given to us. This is the scandal this is, this is what it means to, be, to have the fruit of the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit of God in ways that it actually produces these things in us. 
We're not, we're not working to try and produce more goodness. We're moving towards God in entrusting our lives to him, and he gives his goodness to us, and it flows through us like sap flows through the tree, producing the fruit. It's amazing. We can't keep the law enough. We can't do enough good things in order to be good and inherit eternal life. Can't, it can't happen. It's impossible. Impossible with us. Possible with God. He does it. It's his work given to us. It's not our goodness. Our goodness is all the external stuff. His goodness is the internal. His goodness is what changes us on the inside. It's his goodness, not ours. So you see, I'm not good. I ought not to be described that way. But the spirit of God moving through me makes agathos in an extreme way possible. It can happen because of the goodness of God in me. So a couple thoughts here. Okay? So what do we do? Okay, this is, this is great, Tom. Not me, God. But where, where do we go? Okay, what's it look like? And we've been walking this path of, of sort of asking these questions, and, and I, I hope if you've been with us, you've heard us say consistently, it's not your patience, it's God's patience imparted, right? It's not your joy, it's God's joy empowering you. I hope we've got that across. But here it is again with goodness. So what do we do, okay? What do we do? How, what, what does letting go of our effort actually look like? The first thing is this. We need to ask for God's Spirit to fill us with goodness, Okay? And, and before we go like, well, duh, we need to get back to remember this word and remember the, as we dissected it, the three ideas. One of them has to do with our desires. Okay? Our desires. And I want to ask you right now to pause for a second and to think about the kinds of things that occupy your prayers. When you pray, whether it's very little or an awful lot, what do you pray for? Do we pray for, at least I do. I pray for God to do an awful lot of manipulation of my circumstances and the circumstances of people that I care about. I pray for God to sort of make the people that are making my life difficult see the light and stop doing whatever it is that's making my life difficult. Because see, what I really desire, if I'm going to be honest, what I really desire is just a smoother path for my life. I just, I just, why can't things just go easier? Those are my desires. People should just recognize how brilliant I am and just bend to my plans. They should just see what a what a hurry I'm in and how important my life is and get out of my way so that I can go about my business. Those are my, if I'm honest, those are my desires. Which is why I would say this, when we begin this path towards goodness, the goodness of God in our lives, we really need to ask for the Spirit to fill us with God's goodness. Do we really desire that? Is it something that we actually want? Sometimes we need to ask for things even when we're not sure that we really want them. Okay? Like, yes, having it sounds really good, but the path to getting there, maybe not so much. But it begins with asking. 
Ask for God's spirit to fill us with goodness. The second thing then is expect that God's spirit is going to fill you with his goodness. You see, expectation is faith in God delivering what he's promised. And you know what he's promised? Those that are, that are, that are his, empowered by his spirit, goodness grows in them. It becomes more and more a part of who they are. It begins to come out of them in, in, in unexpected places. We begin to see us bless, see people blessing their neighbors in ways that, that, never make, that don't make any sense. Why are, why are you doing that? Simply because the goodness of God compels me to. It's trusting. Expectation is trusting that God is going to do what he says he will do. So ask and expect and then wait and watch. Wait and watch as the Spirit of God empowers us to all goodness. Look for the opportunities. Have your eyes open. Open our eyes to the opportunities where God is moving in our life in places where we can bless our neighbor, where we can step in to to the benefit of others. He's He's put them in our way, and now he's allowing us to partner with him in his goodness to bless those around us to truly share in this agathos, this this good life that's described by who God is and not by my actions. That's what we do. We ask, expect, and then get ready because he's going to give us opportunities to live in his goodness, to practice his goodness, to walk in his goodness. I guarantee it. Will you pray with me? Father, we're, if we're going to be honest, we have to admit that um, we know we're not good. We confess that, um, that even in trying, the more we try, the more, at least I, I confess, the more I feel like I'm stuck in the mud And so, God, we're, um, we're people who absolutely need your goodness. We need your life in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds. God, um, we, ask that, um, we ask that you would, you would prompt us. You would prompt us to pray those words, to, to, to desperately seek all of you. And God, we're, um, we're together now because we do acknowledge, we recognize who you are. We, we want you to be Lord. And um, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.